Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened, your tray table is in an upright and locked position, and that you are ready to get weird and think different. Please prepare for takeoff. Today is Wednesday. It is June 9th, and we're back with another episode of Destination Different. So the last two weeks, you've been stuck with me babbling into the microphone, no guests in sight. So I promise I will be brief with this introduction. But last week, I did an episode where I talked about what my grandiose visions are for the podcast, where I want to take it, how big I think it can go. And I think I made a couple good points. The biggest being that my goal with this, yes, it is a podcast. Yes, it is to get people to listen. But more importantly, I want to create a network, a community of the strangest brains, the most interesting people, the creators and entrepreneurs who are doing different things, not working in an office, not work in your standard desk job, but people who are creating lives for themselves that probably never have existed before. That is my goal, to bring together that collection of people over years and years and years of interviews, bring them together, help them grow, and cultivate this community of creators and entrepreneurs. I have on this week's show somebody who is doing something that my, my guess is maybe 10 people in the world have ever done. Maybe it's more. I don't know. But it feels like it's probably a very, very, very small subset of people who have done what this week's guest is doing right now. So my guest on today's show is none other than Joe the String Bean McConaughey. Joe is an ultra marathoner. He is a, I don't even, maybe I'd call him a survivalist. He is potentially insane. That's up for debate, but he is one of the nicest, sweetest, kindest, most mentally tough people that I've ever had the pleasure of talking to. So it's, it's almost hard for me to even explain what he does. Joe has set records across the United States. He's traveled across the globe. He has set these records for thousand mile treks of trail running. So the Pacific Crest Trail, it runs from Canada down to Mexico. It's about, oh, I don't know, 2,600 miles. Joe did it in 50 days, 52 days. I might have my facts off. That's like 50 plus miles a day for 50 plus straight days. That's just one record. He's also done the Appalachian Trail, smashed that record. It was something in the 48 days, I think. He just recently completed the Arizona Trail, 700 miles through desert, through snow, 13 days. And he does these things at speed. Some of them he does all on his lonesome, you know, weeks on end in the woods by himself, hiking, running, sleeping, hiking, running, sleeping. 
and he does it over and over and over again. Some of them he does support it. He has a team where he'll hike a few days, meet up with his team, get fresh supplies, hike again, meet up with his team, get some supplies, and he does that over and over and over. He has now turned that into, you know, he's a sponsored athlete by Columbia. He has started his own coaching business where he coaches runners from somebody who's looking to do a 5K to somebody who's looking to do ultra marathons like him. He has also taken on guiding. He just recently completed a trip of guiding in the uh, southwest of the United States. And he is somebody who I think perfectly encapsulates doing things differently. I mean, there are not many people out there who can say, yep, I've, I've hiked 2,600 miles over 50 days. There are not many people who could say that. And so this was an awesome conversation with Joe. We had the chance to talk about how he is making a living from this, how this got started, like what makes you want to even do these ultra crazy treks through un- unchartered territory. We talked about like what is next for him, how he continues to like build his brand as a business and do this as a career. I mean, it was just a fascinating, like hard to wrap your mind around conversation. And I am so excited to share this one with you. So I promised I'd be short. I don't know if this was short, but let's kick it over to Joe Stringbean McConaughey on this week's episode of Destination Different. I hope you enjoy. Certified, yes. <laughs> I figured as much. I, like, I, I think the only natural place to really begin is you have now, I, I don't know how many miles you've logged lifetime. It has to be in the tens of thousands at this point. And you've com- completed and set records in some of these crazy ultra marathoning, trail running uh, worlds. Like what? Obviously, I know you as a you know cross country runner, and you probably grew up running and in the outdoors. But like, what made you want to get into this world of trail running and ultra marathons and pushing the boundaries of your body and mind? Yeah, so over over five different records, I've gone about like six thousand miles. Six thousand, uh, okay. and then subsequently, I've you know been training and running for the last. 23 years. Uh, and if we take, you know, the last 10 years as any kind of example, I've probably been running, uh, around, um, let me think. So I've probably been running around like, you know, 2000 miles a year. So 20,000 plus plus. So now we're at 26,000. And then if you account me growing up as a kid, we'll just say I wasn't running quite as much and add another five. So we're at like 30,000 plus miles estimated. I wish I had to track it. That'd be a much, if only Strava existed when I was like, I know seven. you have lifetime <laughs> stats. That'd be incredible. Um, so, but you know how this all started, I guess. Uh, so really, I guess what I do is, um, it's something called fast packing, which is a combination of, of like running and backpacking is sort of where, where I've, I've found my niche after 
uh, being a collegiate miler and an ultra marathon runner and a backpacker. Um, and fast packing is a combination of, uh, you know, covering a certain trail or distance, um, with, you know, just the supplies you have on your back, like a typical hiker would. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, I did the Appalachian trail in 2017 and I did that, you know, as a normal through hiker where I went into towns to get food. I carried everything I owned. I didn't ha- accept any kind of like outside aid or organized assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just covering 50 miles a day between a combination of running and, or slow jogging, sorry, and, and power hiking. Um, and that all sort of, I think, stems from a youth that started out as a cute little boy scout and a kid who always thought he was going to be in the NBA, but ended up being better running in circles around a track. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. So, but like, I guess my, my question is like, how do you go from a world where you're competing, you know, in the mile, you're, you know, you're obviously like a very gifted runner, but then going to wanting to compete or, you know, did it just start as a love of backpacking and you just liked hiking and you're getting out and you're hiking a lot and you're like, wait, I want to do this fast. Like, how does that, is that how you get into that world? It's weird. Everybody comes from their, everybody comes from their own place, right? A lot of people come as through hikers. So somebody who's hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and then they're like, I want to do this in a different style. Uh, a lot of uh, the, well, the other angle of, of runners are like people who are ultra marathon runners who are like, I want to go even longer than a hundred miles and do something crazier. For me, I was, uh, it was my sophomore summer going into junior year and I was looking at graduation and I'm sure you had similar, similar thoughts of like, damn, like, what the hell? Like, yeah. like I, I was going to a business school, but I wasn't a business. I was an English and economics major and I ended up like getting lucky enough to, to go into a Fulbright program in Austria and to teach English for a year. And so I was like, okay, but like, once I'm done teaching English, I'm still going to need a job, but like, what can I do between now and then that's going to be like the most memorable, coolest thing I could do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if I have like a month or two months, I'd love to just go like run, do a cool run that covers a lot of distance or maybe backpack. And then I remember growing up, I was a boy scout. So I literally was like, oh, the Pacific Crest Trail is this continuous trail on the West Coast. And maybe people run parts of it. So I Googled run the Pacific Crest Trail. And that brought up this guy, Sam Fox, who had the previous year tried mm-hmm. to set the, F- the fastest known time or the FKT, which is the record on it. And I just was like, well, this guy seems like an idiot. And I read through everything he did. And then I was like, well, this seems really exciting. So I, I shot him an email and he was a really gracious guy with his time. So we talked a bunch and, you know, kind of like a year and a half out, uh, really, I started kind of being like, oh my God, like this, I think is, is the thing between Austria and mm. graduating and sure. The longest run I've been on is a 20 mile run. Uh, but you know, you kind of have that you, I don't know if you experienced the same thing being like a college soccer player, mm-hmm. especially right after you're done being a college soccer player or a yep. college athlete. You're like, I was a college athlete and that was a big deal. Even if other people don't think it's a big deal, I can do anything. I kind of have that bravado in yeah. my mindset going into the PCT, despite being vastly underqualified. <laughs> and was there like, a, obviously you just said, you know, you've only run 20 miles and continuously at that point prior to that, but you have some of that youthful bravado. Was there like training that went into it specifically to prep for a daunt? Like I looked it up, my, my math here of 20, 2650 miles, like 
that's insane. Was like, what kind of prep went into your body and, and preparing for getting ready for something of that magnitude? So I sat down with my uh, cross country coach, Matt Kerr. And, uh, and I was like, this is what I want to do in a year and a half. How can I, how can my cross country training supplement this training? And uh -huh. he kind of was like, Oh, that's a really cool goal. Like, you know, do you want to still be a fast, like college runner? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, then like you're sticking with my program and there's like a few things you can do like strength training. So mm -hmm. basically I was a very dedicated, uh, in the, in the weight room for about two years. Cause really like the biggest thing that is when you, when you're trying to run that distance, it's not necessarily like your aerobic system that breaks down. Like you don't necessarily say like, Oh my God, I'm so fatigued because of all this running. Mm -hmm. I can't go on anymore. It's like, Oh man, I'm super fatigued and this sucks, but like, I'm just keep going to keep going and my body's going to let me, but what starts to break down are your muscles and tendons. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to do a lot of strength training to, to prevent those kinds of injuries, which helped didn't, didn't by any means make it a, a pain-free experience. In fact, far from it, but, um, yeah, I pretty much just switched up my, uh, my, um, collegiate like strength lifting regimen. And then I had like a month after graduating where I kind of went crazy training, trying to simulate some of these like longer type efforts, um, that, uh, before starting, um, so really like, a you know, and running a collegiate program of like 60 miles a week, which is a average distance per, per week. It's not particularly long by any mm -hmm. means. Before I go any further, are you like, you must be like a massive, like, are you big into like the numbers and the analytics and the data of all of your like running? Like you're able to rattle off how many miles you've run, how long it takes, <laughs> how much, like how much time, like, has that always been part of your DNA with, with running? Does that just come with the territory? I think that's a grown skill set. Yeah. I've, uh, in fact, I would actually say that was probably like my biggest weakness 10 years ago. Like, you know, I was, as, as we talked about before, I was like an English major and an economics major, but I always liked the, the English side more of it mm -hmm. rather than the data and spreadsheets and actually working, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the future, but working behind the scenes for this guy, this guy, Andrew Skirka's backpacking guiding program, um, kind of what made me realize what makes him so good. He's like the king of spreadsheets and, and um, like the backpacking world, there's a large subset of it. That's like very analytic data focused. Mm -hmm. You know, you're talking like 0 0.03 ounce difference in option A, option B of like stakes for your backpacking tent. And people will choose the 0 0.03 ounce lighter option because of the weight. And it's like, it doesn't make any difference. But uh, I, I think that's like a learned skill that I've gotten. And also, I also happen to have a very uh, analytical um, spouse, Katie. She's like, a, you know, accounting and finance background. So I think mm -hmm. she helped provide me a little more focus that I might not have inherently had, uh, which I think has helped, helped me got through like the Appalachian trail specifically, and also like the Arizona and some other adventures since then. Yeah. Like, I mean, in, in any of those journeys that you've taken, are you setting out maybe like the Pacific crest trail, you go into that first one, first one you've ever really done of that duration of that magnitude. Are you going in of like, I'm going to I want to smash this record. I want to be the fastest known time. Like, is that, was that goal number one from the start? 
Yeah, that was my, that was, you know, well, it was kind of like, I really want to co- go on this cool adventure. And then I find out that you do it for a record and I'm like, okay. Like, yeah, I want that. I found the hook. Yeah. And I'm down for both. Um, I also uh, want to do it in memory of my cousin who passed away uh, when I went on the New Orleans service trip um, mm-hmm. with uh, BC Athletics, which I, you did as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I went down there and he actually passed away while I was on the service trip. And I was kind of like, this just feels like the right thing to do. So we raise money for um, for cancer care, which is a organization that provides like cancer support services for families. Because he passed away in like eight days between That's his awesome. diagnosis, and, and he was like a very young kid. So um, that resonated with me, and uh, and also it was just like the coolest road trip with a bunch of friends. Like the team, you need a support crew for something like this. And so basically, the support crew ended up being my captain from Boston College his best friend from high school and then that guy's best friend who also went to the same high school and those two other guys happened to have like a video and audio background so uh uh, dills and so jordo was my was the um was the first guy he was my cross-country uh captain super analytical grew up on a farm outside of buffalo really good with maps whereas jack and dills had the creative touch and they made a documentary called the run for colin which was just like a very cool angle and also helped a lot, you know, from a fundraising perspective, uh, Mm -hmm. from the, from the run. That's amazing. And like, what kind of prep, obviously like physically, you know, we talked about what, what kind of prep goes into it, but from a strategic or mental standpoint, what goes into it as well of like getting your pack set up. I know in your reading, like you have your certain touch points of where you can pick up food and restock and sleep. Like, how does that prep go on on that side? Cause that's a whole other beast. It seems like. Yeah, I'd say that's, you know, that's a fun question to compare over years. When we did the PCT, A, there weren't the same like, like GPS technologies back then, like an app called like Gaia GPS didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Instead, we had, um, it's called the half mile maps, which are now discontinued, but basically like a paper map. I had a paper map, a printed off paper map for every section on trail. And Jordo would, he was the logistics mastermind who would have to be like, okay, Joe's going 50 miles today or 60 miles. There's five potential spots to meet him based on drive times. We can hit two or three of those spots. And Joe's going to have to make a decision at some point if we're going to do 50 or 60 miles on the day. Based on that, we'll dictate how I try to organize resupply spots. So Jordo and I, as well as Dills and Jack, had to all be on the same page of this, like, you know, logistical uh, uh, and sometimes nightmare and sometimes problem that, you know, got appropriately solved, uh, was always happening in the background, um, which we were kind of doing on the fly, right? We were literally waking up in the morning or Jordo would stay up an hour after I went to bed being like, okay, here's what the map looks like. And then he mm-hmm. presented to me, whereas on the Arizona trail, which I just did, which is a 13 day, uh, trip, I did it in 13 days. We had every single road crossing mapped out in an app. We could say, okay, the drive times, to, we knew the drive time to every single route. We'd done the research ahead of time to know, hey, in order to get to this crossing, you literally need to like ford a river to get to Joe to give mm-hmm. him something. So we had all those logistics figured out ahead of time. Also, like what towns we can resupply in. Uh, and we also were lucky to have this guy named Wit Wisebrum. So it was Katie and Wit were the two, um, the two crew chiefs. And Wit mm-hmm. had actually done the Arizona Trail three different times and had previously set the record on it. Uh, so he had a lot of really, really good nuanced insights. Got it. That's crazy. So it's become over the years a little bit more 
specific or technical. It's crazy that the first one you're bringing paper nap maps out there and like, uh, you know, your most recent one, a couple months ago, you're pinpointing river crossings where you can go and, and restock. Yeah. And like on the first one, we had a GPS phone because my mom was like, Joe, I think you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And like, if you get into trouble, like you need to be able to have a, like a satellite phone. And I was like, oh, I don't really need it. And she's like, no, I'm buying it for you and giving it to you. So I had one and we were like too technologically challenged to edit the preset messages to the crew. So, you know, there's three and too cheap also to buy like the premium version where you could like have more messages. Mm -hmm. So we only had three different like pre, which is like starting my trip. Uh, there was one that's like, I'm, I need help or, um, I'm in trouble, but I'm okay. And then like, uh, like SOS message right. kind of thing. And so now we always have this joke was like, anytime I wanted to communicate something to them, I would just send the starting my text trip. And so they're like, Oh, Joe sent starting my, or starting my trip text. So they just get that. And that would be like all the info I could convey to them. And then they'd be like, Oh, he's on this map. That must mean he's like telling us he's trying, he's going to get in the camp soon and we should get ready. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go. Whereas like now, you know, you have like a GPS that's connected to your cell phone that you can text things on. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how things have progressed over time. Um, but I think that's also like a learned skill. And I think, you know, you're talking about how this pod, podcast hopefully is like, you know, how do people develop the lifestyles that they're in? I think that's something I've realized and learned a lot over time is just like, planning can go a really, really long way. And mm -hmm. how can you, how can you appropriately plan, like analyze challenges or risks and then plan appropriately ahead of time? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's crazy. Cause I mean, in your old, I imagine it's like a life or death can be situation <laughs> if you're not properly prepared in some of those circumstances. Um, yeah. Have they gotten any easier for you as you've started to, you know, grow through these and, and, you know, from the first one to, you know, I've done five, six of these, like, super crazy treks do they get any easier i mean they're totally different beasts every one i imagine but did your competition in soccer ever get any worse no no <laughs> i think what's sort of happened to me is over time is uh like the sport itself has progressed where when i first started it was like a bunch of through hikers that set the pct record and a few ultra runners who were kind of zany and wacko had gone for it very interesting people, but, uh, like nobody had really put together like a comprehensive, super stout effort on the PCT in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the seven years since I've done the PCT to now in 2021, a lot of those like trail records, it's starting to grow a ton as a sport. So the, the amount of competition has increased and also my sort of like stand performance standards have increased. So mm -hmm. when I think of myself as doing like the Arizona trail, I, uh, I was like, okay, I'm doing mileage that is, you know, as I see it, like on a different level than my PCT performance. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the PCT performance I see as like a sub elite or like top level amateur type run where I see like the Arizona trail is more like a sub elite type run or effort where I truly was pushing the edges of my capabilities more than I was doing on the PCT, which part isn't due to the event. Because, you know, over 13 days, you can kill yourself and only have three days left, you know, over the first 10 days. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the, on, on the Arizona trail or on the PCT, if you kill yourself after 10 days, you're not going to make it another 42. Right. You um, get so another you naturally, and a half left. Yeah. Yeah. You're more risk averse. But I think overall, I've become a lot more uh, aggressive and 
uh, um, ambitious in terms of like how much mileage and distance I'm able to cover. And also in what style, like another whole aspect of these records is doing it with a support crew or without a support crew and doing it without a support crew, you know, has a, has a lot of different angles to it. Do you prefer one over the other? I think I like self-supported or unsupported, which is not having a support crew a little bit more as far as a true challenge, because, you know, it's just a, you're totally self-reliant and planning is a lot more important and you have to, there's just so many factors mm-hmm. you're planning for, but I'd also say like a supported attempt is much more of a like fulfilling experience yeah. because you're sharing it with, it's sort of, you know. Right, it's so more like, team sport versus like individual, yeah. Yeah, so like you laugh more, you, you know, people can lift you up sometimes if you really need to be lifted up and uh, your performance is like very much, it's like a NASCAR pit crew, right? Like if your pit crew sucks, right, you're not going to have a, a great a great run around the Daytona 500 or something. Yeah, I'm not no, a that, NASCAR that, fan, but that that makes sense. Um, for, okay, we've talked, you know, strategy and prep. We've talked physically. How do you prepare yourself? I'm very very interested in from a mental standpoint. <laughs> you're out in the woods in some of these, you know, 53 days, 48 days, you know, 13 days in like crazy conditions, how do you keep your head on straight? And like, what are some of the things that you do to survive this and to like do it at the highest level possible? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a combination when I think, uh, so I also work as like a running coach and the way I think about these types of events is like, you need the, you need consistency and you need that like dedicated analytical, like, okay, I'm really present in the moment mindset and you also need the like oh like here are all the facts and it's borderline impossible or psychotic to do this but i'm still gonna do it like you know that kind of like golden retriever type like mm-hmm. oh sure we'll just so it's a combination of those two i and i think i'm kind of built that way where i am like we've talked about like i think i'm sort of built where i'm like ultimately i'm like a very tall like i tend to talk way too much way more than I should mm-hmm. uh and I'm generally like a very positive and upbeat person and always you know don't have a lot of pessimistic thoughts uh and a can do attitude which sometimes can be detrimental um but on the same at the same time I think I've learned to become a lot more um a lot more precise and analytical in my approach to things although when I think back to the PCT I like the go with the flow attitude was just so important. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there were a few times when I got really pissed off, notably when like my support crew couldn't meet me in the beginning of the high Sierras on my birthday. And I ended up having to spend two nights in like the most technically challenging part of the, an isolated part of the trail with just like a t-shirt and shorts. Um, that was, you know, I was super pissed at them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, also, I think one of the nicest things about an effort like this, when you're out there for so long, you also learn to practice a lot of gratitude, or at least I always try to practice a lot of gratitude. So, you know, you're, I guess, to answer your question, it's like, my mindset is always hyper-focused into what I'm currently doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to really focus on like neutral thoughts rather than like reaching for positive thoughts or, oh, I was good doing so well, you know, like I should be doing this well. Uh, I'm trying to avoid those kinds of thoughts and also avoid the negative thoughts not avoid. I'm not, I'm not trying to ignore the negative thoughts where, Mm -hmm. Oh, I just hit a 20 minute mile. And it looks like in the last, you know, like three hours, I'm averaging 
three miles an hour when I was hoping to average four miles an hour, I might run out of water earlier than I expected. You know, I try to embrace those thoughts and process those thoughts rather than Mm -hmm. pushing them away. So part of it's, it's that like really in the moment mindset, part of it's kind of like, you know, budding optimism that like, yeah, things will ultimately go right. And then also trying to practice a lot of gratitude and just realize that like, Hey, you know, I'm in a very privileged place to be spending 50 miles, 50 days out doing a, this solo adventure. That's very self-indulgent. I need to be really, I should be at least very grateful for the people and the opportunities that have, that have gotten me here because I need, you know, this is like uh, everyone I see is sort of like a once in a lifetime opportunity. They mm-hmm. keep popping up. So I'm grateful that that's happened, but um, you know, trying to be really present and appreciative of the experience is also really important. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, the way you describe it is almost like meditative for, you know, weeks on end that you're just like in a constant, <laughs> and I don't know if it feels that way to you, but that's kind of how it sounds. Mm-hmm. Oh no, it very much is. Yeah. And like, are you out there? Are you, are you talking to your, I mean, I've seen now, you know, you've done the documentaries and I, I don't, the most recent one that just dropped was you've got a GoPro with you the entire time you're talking to the camera, you know, does that help? Cause I do want to talk about the documentary piece. Cause I think that's a whole other element of this. It's like, it's not just you're, you know, out there surviving on your own. You're also like filming yourself. You're capturing content. You're like documenting this entire process. Does the talking to the camera or talking to the, the nature, does that help you at all? It definitely gets me to do things I wouldn't otherwise do. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like uh, sometimes I'll talk to myself or I'm, I'm terrible with songs. So Katie makes fun of me because anytime we talk about lyrics, it's like maybe one line I'll get right. Mm-hmm. And then I'll think I'm right for the rest. So, you know, sometimes I'll sing a little bit uh, or sometimes, you know, I'll just do a, like a little kind of like pat yourself on the shoulder, uh, kind of talking to myself. Most, most of my thinking and uh, processing, I think is internal. Um, but yeah, like in the documentary, you know, I was uh, like, I think the scene you're referencing maybe is when I was just like laughing to myself. The hysterical laughter was the, yeah, that was, that's, <laughs> that's, you know what I'm thinking about a little bit and you can be, I mean, how, how delusional are you in a, in a moment like that, where that is like, like, are you losing your mind at that point? You know, you're just in such a, it's weird. Like you, I, I haven't, a lot of people will say otherwise. A lot of people who have done this type of stuff will be like, oh yeah, no, fully lost my mind. I was going crazy. I like, don't know what I was thinking, yada, yada, yada. I've always felt very present in everything I've done. Uh, I always feel like I'm trying to like manipulate switches. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you can get in really like, while saying, well, while that I think is true, I've also been in like super dark places where I've just been like really like brooding and uh, mostly it's all stems from like some kind of physical pain. Like, you know, my, Oh, uh, not, that's not true. Um, like the lowest points I've had on trails and the time, I guess what I'm saying, I'm talking about is like when I lose control of my emotions, mm-hmm. um, the times when I've like truly lost control of my emotions have been, I took like a three mile detour um, off the wrong side of a mountain. So I literally lost like a few thousand feet of elevation in three miles and was already having a miserable experience um, and then had to go right back the other way. Um, that beat me up really bad uh, mentally where I was like, I was so pissed. Like when my support crew two different times on the PCT couldn't meet me in the right way. Mm-hmm. Luckily, like I had grieved before I met them, but I was like furious for like a day or days at a time. Um, and 
I've also been like emotional where I've been, you know, just like really contemplative of things in my life that have happened and, and like find myself crying because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I've also been in like really low physical states where I'm just like in a lot of pain and frustrated and I'm just kind of like this effing blows. Uh, so I'll, you know, that'll usually last for a few hours. And then at, at some point you're like, the pity party's got to stop. And so actually like the laughing was a way of coping with that yeah. rather than I, instead of seeing that as like, oh my God, this guy's lost his mind. He's like really psycho. I see that as like, a, okay, this is like one way to like gain back some of my, some mm-hmm. of my mental space in a positive light, uh, even though it, you know, and it is kind of like manic. I will agree with. <laughs> I got a kick. I got it. Made me laugh, so I liked it. Good. Um, Check. <laughs> is there? Is there like a? I don't know how to phrase it? Is there like a favorite part of doing these crazy treks that you have, or is it all like the whole, the whole experience? Is there it's something the whole experience, that man? Out? It's like you know. There's so. I'd say the the coolest thing about doing a trail like this is you just see trails in ways that no one else sees them. Mm-hmm. That's always been really special. Like on the long trail, which is in Vermont, 272 mile trail. I was going over this trail, uh, this mountain called camel's hump, which is a very exposed mountain. Um, it's a lot of like exposed granite and it was like one in the morning. It was 30 miles an hour wind. And you're go- like, you know, you're running, I'm putting my hand up sideways for people who are listening. This is good radio. This is very good radio. Yeah, this is great radio. <laughs> and then I'm pretending like I'm running on a flat surface. So you're basically mm-hmm. running on like a sideways surface on the side of a mountain for, and it's totally black. You can only see as far as your headlamp, you oh. know, for a, a good like 30 minutes with like whipping winds on either side of you and perfectly cloudless night. And like that sticks out as like a wow moment like that, you know, is a really special experience on top of a mountain um in addition to like but i mean it's there's so many angles right it's like i'd also say like some of the memories that i have with my support crew are some of like the most memorable mm-hmm. experiences i've had with other humans or finishing you know when you finish a trail like that you just experience this whole gambit of emotions that's like so profound and and multi-textured where it's like you know, I could be like laughing, crying, or like pooping myself. And I, 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 I like really can't, time. can't tell the difference between any of them. <laughs> uh, did, I mean, how soon after you finished, is it like, oh, I want to do another, I want to do that again. And, for, and then maybe part two of that question is what is the next trail that you want? You know, what's the next adventure you want to do? When I first did the PCT, I was like, great. I've like retired from running. I'm done. When I did the AT, I was like, I'm probably, I don't really want to do like another like long trail like this again. And uh, by long trail, I mean like 2000 plus mile trail. And then as I continue to go down the path that I'm on, I'm like, wow, I really love doing this. But like, in what way can I do it? That's like conducive with my lifestyle. And that is, but you know, that's also still meaningful and, and positive. Mm-hmm. So um, usually it's been like, uh, when you're immediately done, you're like, you know, F that I'm like going into a mini retirement kind of thing, uh, which quickly, well, after the PCT, I mean, I didn't run after the PCT for six months, yeah. whereas, you know, since then it's like, okay, now, like I just did the Arizona trail a month ago, a month, two months ago. And now I'm like, okay, what other summer ultras am I going to do? Or what trail am I going to do? Um, but not in the same scope. I guess it's kind of like, you know, if you're like addicted to 
to drugs or like alcohol and then like you go binge drinking it's like it's like mm-hmm. binge drinking then you have your like recovery phase your and cleanse yeah for anybody who has any kind of uh addiction out there that's a terrible example because it's like oh no yeah like get like pissed blackout drunk but like two months later you're going to be drinking again like let's mm-hmm. be terrible example but uh but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah and so is there is there a like a big this is the thing i want to do next for you or do you kind of just take those as they come i kind of just take them as they come yeah like there's trails that have interested me like the john muir trail and the colorado trail are two trails i've been interested in and like i was kind of close to pulling the trigger last i wasn't really that close but i was like scheming of ways where i could pull the trigger on the john muir trail last Mm -hmm. last september or october um and uh, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't really like, it would be sweet to do, but I don't feel like I, I need to go out and do that. And I'm kind of in that same boat right now with the Arizona trail where it's like, yeah, I just had this huge experience, like ride the high, you know, internalize what happened. Don't always be searching for the next thing. Mm-hmm. And historically things have always found their way to wiggle, wiggle to the surface. So yeah, um, yeah I guess take them as they come. Okay. I, what does your recovery look like? And you're just like day to day. So you, you know, obviously, you know, you have these big moments, but what does the in-between look like? Are you training? Are you working out? Like, how do you take care of your body from getting beat the crap? You know, you just beating the crap out of it. What is, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, I'm a pretty dedicated runner. So I'll, um, you know, I'm usually running between like 60 to like a hundred miles a week in training. Um, depending on what I'm doing, you know, I do more or less vertical, um, you know, I'll do between like 3000 or 10, 12,000 feet of vertical in a week, uh, which is another good way to measure, measure training. Um, immediately after it's like cold Turkey. I took like, uh, well, I actually, I have a psycho schedule where I basically finished the Arizona trail, gave myself nine days guided for 17 days straight in Utah on backpack, backpacking, like backcountry trips then I like had to catch up on all my business work. So it basically was like a nonstop month and a half after, you know, getting three to four hours, probably four hours of sleep for 13 days and pushing your body to the, to its limits. Um, anyway, so, uh, like recovery, but I still really value recovery where like, it's been two months now and I'm still averaging like 30 mile weeks and Mm -hmm. I have like an Achilles injury. That's mostly gone away, but I'm still nursing a little bit. So I'm kind of like not, you know, I, I basically try to listen to my body of like, what's right. Uh, but you know, in a come a month from now, I'll, I'll be back up to workouts in, uh, you know, 60 plus mile weeks. You must like, you must be more tuned into your body than 99.99%. Maybe. Of like, <laughs> or you just don't There's feel anything. I don't know. Or I just have, yeah, no physical, no physical feelings or like emotional, uh, emotional, uh, ability. One of the, one of the two, (laughs) like, but when you're, so I I did want to ask this earlier, but you know, have you experienced, what kind of injuries have you dealt with over the course of some of these things? I'm like more healthy now than I am in, in college, believe it or not. Like I, yeah, I think part of it is like the coaching strategy was like trial by fire. Mm And the first two years I like got burned. And then I kind of figured it out my junior and senior year. And I think that strength training helps a little bit. And then since then I've adopted a a different training philosophy. So I'm like, uh, which I think is more attuned also with general, like quote unquote endurance principles. 
Um, but I find myself like valuing like slower, easy miles a lot more. Um, but I and stayed just really- to be clear, what does a slower, easy mile look like for you? <laughs> you run a four minute mile. So what does that look like in your world? So like a, like a seven thirty eight minute, eight thirty mile, mm-hmm. which in college, all of our easy runs were six minute miles. And I've since backed off that, uh, that bandwagon. Um, but the, uh, the, to, your, to answer your question, it's like, you know, I can tell, I, we could talk for the next like 30 minutes on injuries I've experienced on trail. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, they end up in some kind of really bad swelling and tendonitis situation on mm-hmm. a knee or an ankle. A few of the more funny ones include, I have like a cigar sized burn that's like that big on my back, like the size of a quarter from like my pack rubbing, rubbing on the AT. Uh, that's kind of like a weird one. I have all these, uh, like I got on the Arizona trail, I had to do a lot of post-holing through snow and ice. So I basically had, you know, like shin level ice or snow cutting at my shins. So that resulted in a lot of like cuts and bruisings on Mm -hmm. my, my shin, which I still have like, you know, the, I, I don't know if they're going to be scars or not, but it kind of looks cool, uh, patterning on my shins. Um, I actually just from the Arizona trail, I just found out my first potential long-term injury, which we'll see. I have like a bone spur on the bottom of my shin, shin muscle, which is what I'm currently recovering from, from my, from the Arizona trail, which basically like a bone spur, you know, develops after years of probably trauma. Uh, and it's not that big of a deal, but it just kind of like gets aggravated and might get aggravated and swollen in certain, certain situations. So you know, pushing your physical extremes for 13 days aggravated it. Um, and I'm hoping it'll just kind of go away and, and not be a legitimate issue unless I'm doing like an FKT type effort, um, which it didn't stop me from running uh, really, but it is something that, you know, will be there where, you know, in the last seven years of doing these types of adventures, I haven't had any notable or any, any real, real injury in training um, or any kind of like sustained or long-term injury from, from a trail run. Got it. So something just to kind of keep an eye on as you go into future stuff. Yeah. But obviously, you know, I get a lot of questions on like, Oh, are you worried you're killing yourself? And it's like, ah, I'm kind of like, you know, enjoying, enjoying what I'm doing now and nothing at least at this point has really indicated that I'm doing long-term damage on myself. Maybe I am. And there could be a chance I am, but also, you know, these are, like when you look at it as like a one once in a lifetime run or effort, right. it's really easy to just say, oh yeah, I'm doing this once. And if I sustain something, you know, I'll figure out that problem when I get there, which maybe that is like my stupid optimism speaking. Uh, but, but yeah, that's where my head's at with, with injuries. Okay. All right. I do want to talk a little bit about your guiding and, and that piece of it as well. well I guess two part question. One what are you doing you know, now for like a career and making money and how do you sort of like, you know, afford this lifestyle of being able to go and do two months, a month, 13 days, 15 days. And then two, like, what does it, what does it cost to, to do something like this, to have a support staff, to fuel yourself, you know, all of those things that go into it, the gear that I'm sure goes into it. So maybe two part question there, but what are you doing to, for a living? And then how does it cost to do some of these outings? Yeah. So I make my income via like sponsorship. So I'm sponsored by uh, like Columbia and uh, Sawyer, um, Columbia Sportswear and Sawyer, which is like uh, they produce a lot of um, like outdoor products. And so like uh, water filters are a great example or sunscreen. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I have some sponsorship money coming in, which is nice, but you know, in the sport I'm in, there's, it's kind of like, uh, like the Alex Honnold world, um, or climbing world where, you know, not, a, not a lot of people are making like full-time income on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also working as a backpacking guide for this guy, Andrew Skirka. He does, uh, three, five and seven day trips in different kind of like iconic spots in the U S. So this year I'm guiding 17 days in Utah. 10 days in California and eight days in West Virginia. Um, in addition to that, <clears throat> I also work as his secondhand man. So his program manager is I think my technical title, mm-hmm. but he, um, together we've like launched an online backpacking course. Also, there's like a pre-trip curriculum for all the guided backpacking trips. So I help with that as well as like registrations and things on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been lucky with that where I'm working remote. Initially I, I got to know Andrew because he's the most prolific hiker uh, probably ever, uh, or at least, uh, you know, in the last like 40, 40 ish years um, where he has made not prolific isn't the right word, but probably like the most biggest celebrity hiker, maybe yeah. is the term I'll use. And so he's, you know, made a, made his living off of, off of a full-time like guiding company and writing. Um, and I just literally called him cause I had your exact same question of like, how the hell do you make this work? Like mm-hmm. on paper, you, you have to be just like drowning in debt or you're probably making like breadcrumbs and he is making a really good uh, mm-hmm. kind of killing for himself and doing really well. And has a really positive and he's like, I think the biggest thing I learned from him is he's just like an amazing business person where he, you know, knows all the taxes. He knows how to be able to pay guides who live in eight different places. So he, he understands like the business side of things very yeah. well. He has literally a spreadsheet for every single thing he does, such as like send uh, thank you cards to so-and-so <laughs> like, and he has a line item for every single mm-hmm. like item he does on trip. So he's super organized, which has helped me become a better coach because I'm, you know, understanding I a little bit of how, him. yeah. Right. And so I've taken a lot of those principles from him kind of being a secondhand man and, you know, working hourly for him to be able to build that into my coaching practice, which, you know, I, I was working full time until last uh, spring when I worked for a travel company. Um, and, you know, come COVID, I'm like the first person that gets laid off because I was in like the new markets. Right. So there it's like, a lot yeah, of people like, going to new markets last uh, Yeah. I was like, they're like, I'm sure they looked at the payroll and it was like, that's, that's the guy. Like, yeah. first, He's first to go. <laughs> Yeah. So then I kind of looked at myself and I was like, well, I I could like, Katie and I want to move across country. We want to move to Seattle and like, I need to get a new job. I I probably can, I have a lot of connections in Seattle. I'm sure I can do that, but I've also been working as a coach and this would be like, uh, you know, like my advice for somebody, if if you have like a side hustle, you're excited about, like get your foot in the door and figure out what works before you try to make something like scalable or full-time gig. I've been coaching for like essentially two, two and a half years, maybe two years. And, uh, so, you know, I had like a small, um, client base and it was really good, but I didn't really have a lot of systems set in place. So then when I got laid off, it was like, Oh, okay. Well, like now I have essentially three or four months of, uh, to, to kind of say like, Oh, I can see if this is a real income revenue stream and build this to something that's actually legitimate, not like it wasn't legitimate for, but build it to something that's more than just a you know, something I'm doing on the side. And that's where I kind of like find myself, you know, a year over about a year, a little over a year after that time period where I'm like, okay, I'm working with a lot, you know, a lot more people than I was before. I'm a lot more organized and 
for probably, and I'm also like writing and creating content around my website mm-hmm. um, to, to try to get, you know, like natural, uh, like marketing, marketing channels, essentially. And also just to have really great resources for people like coach. Right. Okay. First, who are the, who are your types of clients? Like what are, who are the types of people that you're coaching? Are these like regular Joe Schmoes like me who are like, I just want to, you know, be able to like run a little faster or is it people who are into the ultra marathoning, the kind of pure endurance, like real distance type of stuff? Yeah, I get a full spectrum there. Like, for example, there's a guy this weekend who's going after like a 5k PR and he's trying to, he's trying to go right around like 25 minutes in a 5k. Um, I also, and he's been running for like less than a year. I also coach people who, uh, like this guy, Whit Weisbrum, who was the guy who with me on the Arizona trail. That's mm-hmm. how I ended up bringing him on board. Um, who, you know, just got fourth at Coconona 250. It's a 250 mile race, like really competitive, uh, multi-day endurance effort has set a few FKTs himself and, uh, and, um, you know, really specialized his like big goal this year is to be trying to do like a 10 day event. Um, and then I, you know, additionally, I also have, which is, this is kind of a funny one. There's three people who I coach. I set the long trail FKT last summer and there's three people who I'm currently coaching who are going over some different record on the long trail. Um, so I tend to get more of like the, I tend to get more of the crazies of the, like, you know, (laughs) I want to do, I want to do kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. But I also like, and some of my favorite people I coach are people who are, you know, really just like very coachable athletes who are excited to like improve, even if that's like a 5k or Mm -hmm. a 10k or like running their first ultra marathon. So I run the spectrum, but tend to, I think I tend to attract more of the, the longer, um, longer runners. And are you, are you, I'm not, I mean, concerned or competitive in the sense of like, if somebody went out and beat one of your fastest known times, would you then feel the urge to be like, I got to go back and I can, I can top it. Like, is that, it hasn't happened yet. I don't believe in any of your fastest known times or has it? Mother, a guy beat me on the PCT. So okay. there's this one certain Belgian dentist who's my arch rival. Uh, he's actually a great guy, but he, um, and also very, I, it's like demeaning to call him a Belgian dentist because you're like, Oh, he like, doesn't sound, he's a very legit runner. Um, but he, so I set the supported, meaning I had a crew on the Pacific crest trail. He Mm -hmm. broke my time on that a year later. And then I set the AT self-supported, meaning I didn't have the crew and I managed to beat the supported time. So I has had the overall record. And then he beat me a year later on the Appalachian trail. So, um, but I, I don't really, I honestly, as long as the person is a nice enough person so far, I've always been, you know, very excited to see people break records that yeah. I've been on. Um, because it's just really fun to see somebody else push the envelope. And right now I don't have like the aspiration to go after the PCT or AT again, just cause that's a lot of, a, a lot of time and a lot of, a lot of hurt and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things. Um, yeah you know, maybe if somebody broke the long trail record, I might look at that again and, and maybe I'd have a different answer. But right now, like if somebody broke like my long trail record, for example, I'm not going to be itching next year to go You're out not gonna and, like and dust pack it. up your bags and head right to the trail. And like, exactly. Get- yeah. Like someone, you know, like a, a guy already has plans to do the southbound, like the air to beat my Arizona trail record this fall. And I'm like, not, I'm not gearing up to race to, to run with it, to, you know, to go alongside him. So yeah, I, I kind of 
you know, I it's and that's one of the cool things about the sport. I think across the board, you find people are very, um, very friendly and encouraging and supportive of each other, which might change. You know, the tough thing about FKTs is now it's getting into a point where people and companies, I think, are starting to see like, oh, there's some money here if we, you know, if we can market it in some kind of capacity or way, which is a great thing, you know, because, you know, me as an athlete, I'd love to be able to just like work, be a full-time athlete. Yeah. But on the flip side, it's kind of like, like the beauty of FKTs is it's a symbiotic, beautiful partnership of like nature and outdoors and running. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope it becomes more about that. And, you know, the record is an important part of it, but not like the dominating thing. It doesn't become like a commercialized thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got it. Um, I did want to, I did want to touch on as well, your kind of content creation piece of this whole thing and, and how you've treated that as like a marketing vessel for your coaching, but also just like how you enjoy it and what your process is of like creation. Cause you write some like super thorough, heartfelt blogs after you come off of all of these, but you also have some like amazing sort of guides and, you know, more technical type of writing as well. So like, what is your writing process? I know you've been doing the documentaries as well. So what is your sort of creative process like as you go through all of these things we'll talk about the doc i think the documentary ones is so unique that it's just hilarious to talk about so basically this guy michael dylan started a production company right after school and uh, so when we were looking at the pct i was like i want this guy film like mm-hmm. not this guy i was friends with him but like it would be sweet if dills could film yeah. and then he came out and filmed and since then he's been the producer for every subsequent documentary that's come out about me other than i did a, a race in um in Ireland, which was filmed by Columbia, but he, so he's now made like a PCT Appalachian trail, long trail documentary, a documentary about like a road trip we took doing two different races on the West coast. Mm -hmm. And he's working, he made like a 13 part blog series on the Arizona trip. That was crazy. The the, the daily blog. Super cool. cool. Yeah, that was great. He grinded harder than I did. It was the crazy, like he was up till I'd be like getting at camp at 11 dead. And he, sleep at 12 o'clock he'd be up to like three editing so that he could get it out the next day mm-hmm. um that's really what hustling is but so he and that's actually i recently only found i've always felt bad because it's like oh i'm basically getting my friend to film these things and like he's not making money on it uh and most recently like we we're able to for the first time with the arizona trail get a little bit of money from it and also to uh i kind of like realized in the arizona trail that he's used all these other projects as like his primary like cool adventure content right his like portfolio yeah yeah which has really helped his business which hopefully i'm not i'm not overselling how much that's helped him because i don't want to seem like a that's not like i'm i i'm sure i'm not the main thing that's driven his business but it's cool that like two Mm -hmm. friends we've worked together he's helped make me a more out there like marketable ultra runner and i've helped them make himself a more enviable and proven production company Mm -hmm. um so anyway, so the documentary thing is just super cool and, uh, you know, we're super good friends and it's awesome having like one of your best friends come down to like film, film some project. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's very different than a lot of the current, like, I think a lot of the content, a lot of the like running content is really dry where it's like, here's crazy person. Here's a crazy challenge. Crazy person either does or doesn't do the challenge and everybody fades off into the sunset with credits. Yeah. Like you see that in like 90%, 95% of running documentaries. And so it's fun having like a buddy who can get inside a little bit more and have a little bit more of an insider and nuanced storytelling perspective. So anyway, that's the, the video side of it, which I think is really cool. And then the writing side, you know, I kind of 
see there's not a lot of people doing what I'm doing and uh and I also have like you know pretty strong opinions about what I'm doing and you know I, I think it's really fun to share and and that's also kind of like the history of FKTs like people write long elaborate race reports after they set an FKT mm -hmm. um and and to kind of like share their story um so when I you know when I look at writing I think it's just like uh, area that there's not a lot of already written content out. So I feel like, you know, if I want to write about like, uh, like how to train for a 5k, I'm like, okay, Google how to train for a 5k. And you can see 800 articles from 800 different coaches where it's like how to train for, or how to, how to, um, how to crew like, uh, the Arizona trail. Like, yeah. Right. There's maybe 10 people on earth that can like give the same advice that you're able to give. Exactly. So I see that. And also, uh, it's been really nice, like, uh, the second guy I ever started coaching and the first guy I ever started coaching sort have started to write like articles for me. So they're helping me like write content. And that also helps with my creative process where it's like, I need someone to hold me accountable and also to come from different angles. So this guy, Brandon, he writes for like the track and a few other like smaller publications. And he has like a really good blog writing eye where mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like, I'm going to write about this. And like, you know, here's, here's my outline. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, that's great. But like, cut this, cut this, like picture should look like, so he can help me with some, of, he's helped me with some of like the technical stuff mm -hmm. as well as like help hold me accountable. And Ev, the first guy I ever started coaching, he's like a master's in positive psychology from Harvard and, uh, and works a lot on like mindset stuff. And so it's been actually really, I'm like learning from him, even though I have a lot more running experience from him, just like hearing, watching him write about mindset. Yeah, is to me also helps me become a better athlete and a better coach. So it's kind of this cool, small network that started to, you know, be created from, from the writing side of it. In addition to, yeah, it's great. So I can post those and have people read them and say like, oh, this is an interesting article. Oh, this guy also coaches. Sweet. Maybe I want to work with him mm -hmm. kind of thing. I, that's, I love that because I, I'm curious, like how, you've now built this, the string, we haven't talked about this at all, but string bean of sort of like your trail <laughs> name. And like, I, for me, that's, that's like your brand and that's like who you are. And like, how has that felt to you as sort of being the, the create your, you know, you're the talent, but you're also the, the creative director, if you will, of, of string bean. And so yeah. what has that been like, is like building this brand of, of yourself sort of. It's like any small business, right? There's a, like a lot of self-doubt. There's a lot of like, oh, I need to do this and this and this. And then at the end of the day, you don't do any of them. Uh, you know, it's a lot. There's a lot of like, to me, it like, so my trail name was String Bean from the PCT. And it's always like, is that like my lifelong business name? And mm -hmm. is, now, is now that like my business name? And, and what I kind of realized is like my running group, I call the Bean Sprouts, which is like, I just like that to me is like, oh my God, this is perfect. Like the perfect yeah. name for what I'm doing. So it's funny to see that evolve, but um, it's kind of cool. It, like I'm just going, I have so many tangents. This is a really good question. So sorry, I'm kind of all over the place. No, like another no, funny angle is like, yeah, you know, like you look at other writers and it's like people either have their name because when people are searching for you, they want to know who Ryan Dunn is. They don't mm -hmm. care about like, you know, soccer lover 92, you know, mm -hmm kind of thing uh so i'm always kind of like man i probably should just use my name or on the flip side i should adopt some kind of marketable name that's like you know like the trek started from some guy's personal blog and that's a really memorable thing or i run far 
or gear junkie, like all these like names that are associated with a sport where mm-hmm. string bean isn't, but I kind of love it because it's like, you know, it's sort of like the, somebody was talking to me about like, oh, you're like the ultimate example of somebody benefiting from like the gig economy. You create this small community and then you figure out ways to make it, you know, to have keep people engaged with you and to figure mm-hmm. out a business out of it. And um, it's like, oh yeah, that's kind of true. And like, I almost should, like my personal brand is my brand. And I haven't, to this point, I haven't had any issues, you know, marketing myself as stringbean.co other than I wish I had a .com, but, you know, one day dreams, yeah. um, you know, other than our own stringbean.com is going to have to give it up. It's tough. It's an old travel blog from like the nineties. And it's oh, like yeah. a grandpa who I think like has all these, like, yeah, anyway, uh, I've emailed him a few times and it feels super bad asking somebody to give up their like family travel log. Cause there's like, you know, a decade worth of video of photos. Anyway, I haven't, I haven't gone too far down that path. You can tell, but, uh, but no, I think it's, it's really fun. And I, I think ultimately I see myself, I, I'm curious at how you view yourself because, you know, you've taken kind of like an interesting path too, where you're like, you've done a lot of travel, you've done some independent stuff. You're now working for a, for a company, mm-hmm. but you're still obviously keeping this podcast going and have your website and all that jazz. I see myself inherently as like, Initially, when I went to Boston College, I really wanted to do some kind of like entrepreneurial program. And I think, you know, that's ultimately who I am. And now I realize, oh, yeah, when I was 22, I would have been the worst entrepreneur of all time. But now that I have business experience and I'm a little bit older, I've realized like, you know, I can create this not necessarily entrepreneur in the size sense where I'm trying to make, you know, $500,000 in a year mm-hmm. and sell my company, but more so in the sense where I can create a sustainable business that's you know, meaningful to me based off the things I love combining different facets of my life. I'm curious, like where you see yourself in your own journey as a, uh, as a, I don't know how you best, how you label yourself as a writer or as a content creator or as a, as a podcaster, but. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I was actually talking about this with somebody else this morning, but it is in a sense, I've, I started this podcast selfishly as just a way to talk to like smart, interesting people and hear how they were doing things. I was like, honestly, that was like the very bare minimum. Like I'm writing, I'm spinning my wheels. I was doing all this stuff. I'm like, I'm not doing anything right. Why don't I just talk to some people who like have succeeded or are in the process of trying to figure this out with me. And so that's how this is honestly like started and evolved. And I, I mean, I see myself trying to figure out a way to like turn that into a community or into a business at some point, but it's still right now. I just enjoy the like conversation and the learning piece of it. Like that's kind of what I get out of it right now. And if I can build it to something else, that's, that's gravy. Yeah. That's kind of like how I jumped into coaching. Like the first guy who, who I started coaching this guy, everywhere I briefly mentioned, I literally was at lunch and my boss or not my boss, but a higher up person in my company was like, Oh, I'm meeting with this guy. He's a cons- like an educational consultant. Uh, and he also really wants to meet you, Joe. And then he's like, wait, Joe McCutton, his face lights up. And he's mm-hmm. like, I like, you know, grew up, grew up, born and raised outside of Boston. He's like, I just told my wife two days ago, I'd rather meet Joe McConaughey than Tom Brady. And I was like, first off, you don't mean that. <laughs> Second off, like, I can't believe you were like, how did this happen? Like, it's just like a weird, like celebrity mm-hmm. moment that you don't feel like you're worthy of. But, and he was like, I want you to coach me. And I was like, he's like, do you coach people? And I was like, no. And he's like, I want to be your first athlete. And I was like, okay, man. Like, you know, I don't coach people. Like, 
I was a, you know, I worked in a collegiate program. I kind of know what I'm, I think I know what I'm doing, but like, we'll see what happens. And then, you know, that was like the start of that. And then I, then my second step was just reaching out on Instagram being like, Hey, I'm coaching people like who else wants to be coached. And like Brandon and two other people reached out basically being like, Oh, that sounds cool. Like, let's do it. Um, and you know, when I first started, it's like, if I were to do that today, I would be like, Oh, wow. I, I wasn't offering that great of it. I mean, I was offering a lot of like handholding and kind of like yeah. what you're talking about, right. Where I was super invested in the conversations and relationships. Right. But I probably wasn't offering like the best quote unquote service. Yeah. Like process or structure. It was more just like, they wanted part of you like, yeah, but that's what got me there. Right. And that's where mm-hmm. I kind of eventually got to a place where I'm like, Oh, like I can at least do this as a side hustle. And then it's all, it's all been like small iterations. Um, but it's also not, you know, I think it's really easy to focus on like the good stuff, like the other stuff, which we haven't talked about is we were, Katie and I were planning on doing this, but like we live with my mom, right. Which is one, a privilege and then be a way that I'm saving a lot of money. And we're like saving money and making money and feel like we can be in a place to like put a deposit down on a house at some point in the next few years. But mm-hmm. at the same point, same time, it's kind of like, oh God, like, you know, it's nice having those multiple revenue streams, but also at the end of the day, you're a little bit nervous about, you're always just kind of like, oh yeah, like, I hope I'm doing enough. Like I'm not getting any benefits. I'm paying for all my own health insurance. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I don't have like the occupational network like I did at my old company or travel opportunities. Right. I, you know, like basically how I, my vacation time is setting an FKT or, uh, or guiding a backpacking trip. It's not like I'm like, we're not taking like two weeks. Like yeah. In the Bahamas. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. And uh, you know, like just this weekend, I, you know, I think I'm getting to a point where I'm starting to balance things more, but like, you know, we took five days off for Katie's birthday to go do like a weekend trip with friends. And I'm able to do that, which is, which is really great. And I feel like lucky that I can be in a place to do that. But like five weeks, five days felt like, okay, like if I'm going for more than five days, I really need to be communicating that with people because, you know, otherwise I'm not doing, I'm not offering that like monthly service that I'm giving people. And is, I I don't want to keep it too long. I maybe have two more questions for you. Is the goal, like, is the end goal for you that, you know, you can kind of continue to do this trail running when you want, you know, continue to chase FKTs. Is it to also be able to like build this coaching business out to the point where you can make a full-time income? You're really feeling good about that. Like, is that sort of, you know, to guide trips, like, is that kind of the, the, the Joe McConaughey string bean goal over the next, you know, two, five, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Well, I think the beautiful part is they like work together, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm a good ultra runner, then I'm going to be, it's going to be easier for me to be a good coach. Right. And if I'm, if I'm like a really good coach and I'm making money, it's going to be easier for me. Hopefully, you know, you'd say that it's going to be easier for me to be able to, you know, do, do more big runs or to go on big adventures or to take more time off. Um, so I see them as like going in both directions. But also like right now, when you're, when your wife's in school, you're like, okay, I'm like the primary income earner. Like, am I doing an appropriate job as a husband to be like making money? Uh, when like, okay, maybe I could be like not doing this and getting health insurance and like the same amount of income working for a company. And yes, I wouldn't have the flexibility, but you know, that's like, that's definitely an option. And am I being like inherently selfish thinking that I can build this business? Mm -hmm. Uh, and is this business really scalable? Right. Like that's another thing where right now I'm kind of like at like a 
50% with Andrew, like 60% with coaching running. I don't see as like a huge time commitment, but like, you know, if I want to keep building as a coach, does that mean I'll have to cut time with Andrew? Mm -hmm. Can I offer my services differently as a coach where like, could I offer like an online course? Yeah. Um, or like could single, single meeting consultations be just as effective as like, a you know, a, something else I offer, you know, are the, are there other like entry right. points where I can operate as a business owner, which I think hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm kind of taking that approach as I have like me growing my coaching business or FKTs where it's like, yeah, I think there are opportunities out there. There's a few that excite me and right, but right now it doesn't feel like the time to launch something like that mm -hmm. uh, where I need to like understand a little bit more of what I'm working with before I do that. It's, I, it's, I feel like the entrepreneur's dilemma, if you have a million doors in, in any, in any <laughs> business that you're starting, it's like, there's no playbook, there's no rules. And that's an amazing thing, but it can also be like a, okay, what the fuck do I do now type of thing? Yeah. Well, for, yeah. And for me, it's like, I see the investment that I feel like I need to make, which for me, the nice thing about offering a service, right. I really offer more, more services and products is like really just comes down to time. Mm -hmm. Like. I could, if you, if I only for the next week, if I wanted to, I could put together like an online ultra running, like four week course. Uh, but like, that's also a lot of focus and time and I'm not that inherently good enough as an entrepreneur to be able to do that. So I feel like that's, that's my dilemma where like, I have a few things that I feel pretty strongly about, but I just like have a hard time pulling the trigger, which is a lot of times a good thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I'll, I'm one of those people that like ideates too much. And then it's like, okay, Joe, you could have just told me to eat 250 calories an hour rather than talk to me in an ultra marathon, rather than talk to me about like the, like biomechanics and physiology of my stomach that occur, that makes it so that I need to consume 250 right. calories an hour. I do that with projects as well. So that's like my big known weakness, um, that I struggle with, which is exactly what you're saying. And now I'm telling you about how I talk too much about you know, the, and like beat around a bush and end at the same conclusion. It's I basically just, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Well, you beautiful put a bow or on like it. A, an extra, like five minutes of your time that, that could have been succinctly stated, like you said. <laughs> that's, that's all right. Uh, so my last question for you, I ask, so I end every show with the sign off of stay weird. I, I feel like I've picked a few things out that I, I mean, that you, you are an interesting character without question. What would you say makes you weird? Um, the most recent one that's come up is, uh, well, and this isn't going to probably going to be a surprise to anyone who's listening, but like, I have a very low tolerance for high, I have a very high tolerance for like age of food. Uh, and so current, my current dilemma is I'm making my own, I just started making my own kombucha and the first batch went off great. I basically like commandeered a SCOBY from a friend, which is the, like the, bacterial colony yeah. that you use to make more kombucha so i got that from a friend the first batch went great but i didn't flavor it or do anything so i'm just starting my second batch and now there's a lot of like weird growth that doesn't look normal doesn't look or healthy right. doesn't look right and i'm like most people at this point would be like yeah that very clearly doesn't look right and would toss it out where i'm like i'm gonna let it sit for another four days and and probably i'm like i'm at least gonna taste it and like see if i get sick because maybe it's just what bacteria does, or maybe it's legitimately like a gut wrenching, like vomit inducing bacteria. But um, that will be my weird fact, my, my stay weird note of the day.
wrap on this week's episode of Destination Different. Thank you to Joe for taking some time to get off the trail, you know, sit with me for, for an hour and talk about all things trail running, ultra marathoning, hiking, living, running, all of that. He is crazy, crazy, crazy person, but God, so nice, so, so kind, so smart to be able to do like calculate and do all this and so mentally tough. The whole thing is just, it, it, he could be just absolutely blows my mind. Uh, if you want to check out Joe, I've got all of his info linked up in the description of the show because he is worth the follow. Cause there are, like I said, at the top, I don't know, maybe 10 people on earth that can do what he does. So highly recommend checking out what he's got going on. That's all we got for this week. I am so excited about the couple guests that we have in the pipeline. I know we had a couple slow ones, you know, no guests for a few weeks, but some big interviews coming. We just hit with this episode 6,000 listens of all time for Destination Different, which is mind-blowing to me. I said at the top of the year that 10K was the goal by the end of 2021, and it's not going to be easy, but we have that in our sights. So I'm excited this thing is just continuing to grow, and I hope that if you like this episode, you can share it with a friend. You can get somebody else on board with the Destination Different train. We'll be back again next week, next Wednesday, with another episode of Destination Different. Until then, stay weird. in love for just a couple hours I can't tell the difference between what's fake and what's been missing often I'm misunderstood so I'm looking for a better me this is your love song baby I hope that you know the word